0: Steve, happy Monday. How goes it, man?
1: (laughs) Really good, yeah. Just got back from a long weekend bear hunting with a bunch of the guys who were were all going to do the death hike, and we kind of coordinated just doing a a fun bear hunt together. So we had, I think, 12 or 13 of us met up and uh, put some bears down. It was a fun weekend, man. Got to hang out with some great guys, and I just kind of packed a camera around and took some photos, and yeah, just had a good time.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Freaking COVID, man. Messed up the death hike. I didn't get to make it out, but Glad we had a group of guys get together and get it done. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, no, we had we had a good time, man. It was like typical Idaho spring. Like one day was ninety something degrees, we're all just dying from the heat, and the next day it was raining and snowing on us with a high at like forty. So yeah, um, it was kind of got that. That day was awesome. It felt like a like a early October, you know, nice cool day. It was it was a fun day to be in the woods.
0: Hmm. How would you, from like a super high level, describe? bear behavior in or, uh and I almost said in October for some reason, in June, like this time of year, um, you know, most active morning and evening or what, you know, what were you guys seeing? Um, you know,
1: I think there, it can be, you can find them all day long. Um, just how our hunt laid out, we were uh, base, basically sleep, we got there on, met on Thursday, we all just jumped in trucks, went and hunted that night. Uh, we care, killed two bears that first night. Um, and so some guys didn't get back to camp till like 1231 in the morning. Uh, and then we all just BS around and uh, didn't get to bed till two, three. Uh, so everyone slept in and we just kind of continued that trend for the rest of the hunt. So, um, you just, uh, sleep in, go leave camp around noon. Uh, you still had nine hours to hunt, you know, it's not dark till nine, nine thirty and, um, yeah, hunt and then get back to camp late and, and repeat. So, uh we were seeing bears you know from the second you got out of the truck at noon all the way up until dark it just uh didn't seem to be too specific so in general right now though you know you're just seeing um you know you'll you'll start to see some bigger bigger old boars just cruising country you'll just see a bear and it's just hiking a ridge and just moving and then other bears are just milling in a certain spot you know they're just kind of um just hang out in a little four or five hundred yard area and just feed and bed down and feed and bed down and um so that, that was pretty much our strategy was just get to a glassing point um and glass until you found one. So there's a couple you know, dictating on the country. One one of the hunts we had a spot where we basically yeah, dropped down into the canyon canyon about two thousand feet, found a great knob and just sat there and till an hour before dark and then hunted our way back out. And then another one, you know, there was so much timber and cover that uh it would just, you know, hike a hundred yards, glass for half an hour, drop down the hill till you can see a little bit more country glass for half an hour and just kind of chipped your way down the hillside, uh, until you picked up a bear and, and both ways were effective. It's just, you know, um, that with bears, it's just super important to have your glass up a lot. You know, they just, um, they like to feed right on the edge of openings and they're kind of in and out. And, uh, obviously they're pretty short compared to elk, so they can easily hide behind a bush, um, you know, just be there and be there. And all of a sudden they just pop out of they seem to pop out of nowhere. So, um, yeah. Lots of glassing, which was fun. I took um, Vortex has their new eighteen by fifty six UHDs. Uh, we we've got some here at SNS Archery and took a pair up for the weekend to test. And man, I was impressed with those. That's uh, uh, a game finding setup right there. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You could you slap those up, and if there's something out there, you'd be uh, it'd be hard to miss it. That's for sure. It was impressive.
0: Yeah, hm. we actually had a email come in last week. A guy was basically running like a 10 by SLCs and then also had a I think a 65 millimeter the ATS and he was debating on you know so he has a killer glassing setup killer Mm -hmm. pair of optics but he was debating on going 15s and pros and cons and when he might and why um, which I thought was really interesting because he has like I said he has a killer setup there what what's your thoughts on you know the bigger binos and going to 15s or something like that I mean to me I see. I see most of the benefit to that on like, say, a coos type hunt, um, you know, where you're in the Southwest and you got that open country, you're looking for these smaller deer, you're spending a ton of time behind glass. You want the extra power over, say, some tens, but you don't want to necessarily be stuck in a spotter all day. So I get 15s for that. But, um, yeah. What are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I took, I want to say 14, 15, um, uh, I think, so, I don't know how long, like, Swarro's 15 by 56s has been out, um, but w- finally took a pair up into the hills, and I think I was hunting, uh, deer hunting with my buddy Jason. And um, it, at that point, you know, I was tripod mounting the 10 by 42s uh, and had a spine scope, and I brought the 15s, and I just didn't see where they replaced either one of those items, right? Like, I'm not going to pack 15s around my neck. They're huge and ridiculous, it's hard to hold still. Like, um, for the vast majority of the glassing, they're, they're too much, you know? Um, and they didn't quite replace a spotter cause sometimes you just need to zoom into 40, 50, 60 X and get a better look at an animal, you know? Um, so I, to me at that time, it just didn't, like, I don't know. I, I didn't see where they fit. Um, these 18 by fifty sixes though they're getting, you know, that eight, I do a lot of glassing through the spine scope at 20 X and his 18s are getting really close to that. Um, to where that little bit of extra magnification kind of helps. So I don't know. I'm going to play with it more this summer. And and basically, to me, it's uh, being weight conscious backpacking. I think it's probably beyond overkill to pack, you know, 10 by 42s, 18 by 56s and a spotting scope. It's like you got to pick between the 18s or a spotting scope. Um, so just depending, depending on the hunt and the country I'm headed into. Um, and if I'm not going to be, you know, obviously, in general, I'm not this this way. I'm not super specific on the exact size of a buck or something like that, where um, you know I'm, i just want to look and go oh man that's a, a buck's got a nice frame let's go kill it um i think those 18s could be killer uh, and they are super comfortable to glass through and you know versus a spine scope i definitely got to take you know in glass for 10 15 minutes and you got to take a break with the binos you can just kind of put your eyes behind it and just cover country for a long time so um yeah i'm definitely i said take them out scouting this summer and use them on some trips and Um, I'm really happy with my, you know, 10 by 42s. And then I've got that little Koa 55. Um, so when I do find an animal, I can zoom in on it and pick it apart a little bit better. I've been really happy with that setup. So it'll have to be, uh, um, yeah, it's going to have to be super promising for me to, to drop that Koa 55 and pack the 18 by 56s.
0: Yeah. I haven't looked close at those 18s. What's the weight coming at? And then what's that the difference between like subbing for your Koa?
1: Yeah, they're 40, 41 ounces. Um, you know, a, a Swaro ATS is going to run you about 50 ounces. Then you jump up to the 80s. The Koa 77, those are going to be closer to like 58, 60 ounces. That uh, little Koa 55, I think, is 32, 34 ounces. Um, so it's heavier than that setup. But I, like I said, it's um, not, you know, by, by eight, probably eight ounces or so. And I don't know, it's, yeah. I'll just have to play with it more and come to a final decision. I was, I was definitely impressed with like how awesome they were to to throw on the tripod and glass though. Um, So
0: yeah. Nice. Cool. Well to tackle, uh, yeah, let's tackle a few more listener questions on this one. Um, Yeah. This first one guy wrote in and said, I recently watched one of your YouTube videos on the dry bag insert for the XO packs. I'm curious to know when you actually use this. You guys have mentioned in the past that you prefer to use contractor bags in wet environments. Is that a generalization for lower 4800 or for the lower 48 hunting? And the insert is more for a northern Canada and Alaska type of use.
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, contractor bags are a great, cheap option to get some weather resistant protection inside your bag. Um, You know, it's not going to be as uh, good of a. you know, obviously with our dry bag insert, you're just full on waterproof. Um, a, a, you know, contractor bag is probably going to get you 80% of the way there. So, um, yeah, the, the inserts are for, I mean, I always have one in my tote, uh, honestly in Idaho, I r- rarely, rarely use it, but the times when it, it, you know, I do use it, it's pretty essential. It's, you know, you're, you're getting rain and snowed on day in, day out, your backpack and you're backpacking where you just can't afford to have your extra clothes and your sleeping bag and stuff get wet that's where that dry bag is is super handy
0: um we had several questions steve after our uh pack essential series guys were questioning what what were you talking about with the gloves you mentioned and uh, maybe we didn't like enunciate clearly enough but the rag wool gloves (laughs) maybe we sped through that word there like what is he talking about i think they thought we were maybe mentioning a brand name but multiple guys mentioned uh what are the gloves that you're using steve and where do you get them
1: Uh, That's a good question. I think Fox River is the name. Let me pull this up.
0: And where are you going to pull it up?
1: Uh,
0: I'm Googling Fox River wool gloves. (laughs) Okay. I didn't (laughs) have to go into the place you buy them. No, yeah. I've bought them at
1: Sportsman's Warehouse before, and I've bought them on Amazon. Um, I'm not seeing the.
0: There's a ton of options on Amazon, I know There's that. There's a ton of brand options, specifics, yeah. But.
1: Yeah, so Fox River Men's Gripper Rag Glove. Um, it's got, you know, it's just a wool glove. It's got black little dots all through the palm and fingers for traction. Um, and I Googled it and Walmart pops up. They're $14.70. Um, buy yourself like two or three pairs of those things and you are good to go they're fantastic what probably i mean they they always keep my hands warm um, they can be completely soaking wet and it's cold outside they can i've even had them be wet and then frozen and then you know put my hands in there uh, and you just kind of rub them back together you know breathe into them a little bit get them warmed up and you're good to go like they're just fantastic so um, I try to not get them wet just, you know, to avoid that. So if I'm in a scenario where I don't, you know, I don't have to have them on, uh, cause they, once they get wet, they don't necessarily dry out super fast. Right. Um, so if it's like, I'm going in and it's raining and it's kind of cold, I'll, um, I'll just kind of tough it out and let my hands be cold and, and keep them dry and keep them in the pack and then put them on when, when, it, you know, when the rain stops or whatever. But, uh, yeah, just a fantastic glove. So. Durable, going last you forever. They're just awesome.
0: Cool. Um, had a good question from a guy who's just getting into archery, uh, recently started shooting, and I always like to, you know, it's easy to get caught in the weeds and details, and, it, you know, I don't know, say more advanced stuff, but it's easy to skip over the basics, and I wanted to hit this one. So, again, this guy just started shooting recently, and he says, when aiming at a target, is it better to focus the eye on the target and have a slightly blurry pin? or should I focus on my pin and have a blurry target? Is it normal to not be able to see both clearly? Could it have something to do with peep size or possibly my fiber optics making it blurry?
1: Um, You know, you're probably gonna get, I think the general consensus is pin blurry, focus on the target. Um, I'm sure there's a few professional archers that maybe do the opposite, but I find I shoot better. Um, Yeah, when I blur out the pin, It kind of helps alleviate the target panic, right? Because you're not focusing on the pin and seeing every little bit of movement. Um, So, yeah, I just kind of probably, you know, get the animal in the peep sight, get the pin close, kind of bounce my eyes back and forth to make sure I am on the right pin, right, of a multi-pin sight. And then once I'm kind of settling on that, then I blur out the pin and just focus on the target. Um, And so, yeah, super common not to have both in focus. I don't think without a, a verifier or clarifier in your peep sight. Um, basically a little lens that goes in the peep that you're able to actually have both in focus. So, um, yeah, what's your thoughts there?
0: Yeah, it's basically what you said. I for me, it's kind of a two-step process of as I get to full draw and I'm trying to acquire a target, I'm also focusing, as you said, on the pen, mainly for pen selection and this, you know to me this is like very subconscious um it wasn't until this question came up and i really started thinking about my process that i even realized i did this but yeah typically at the beginning um you know of a shot sequence coming to full draw acquiring a target within the field of view of the side housing i will focus on my pen briefly make sure i'm selecting the right pen and then from there on that pin kind of locks in and i let that become blurry and begin to focus on the target with that pin you know as a reference but the pin is blurry at that point so yeah 100 percent for me it's focus on the target when i'm getting ready to actually execute a shot um and yeah for, for all the reasons you said I, I found that it really helps with target panic you're accepting that little bit of pin float we've talked about even recently Um, And, you know, just allowing that to kind of blur and be there. And in the end, if you if you focus on the pin and when the pin starts to waver off of the spot, you're going to try and put that pin back, if that makes sense. But what you'll find is when you focus on the target, that pin floats there and the pins kind of just naturally going to wander back to your focus point. Um, so if your focus points the target your pin's going to wander back to the focus point even with a little bit of float and so that's typical what i'd recommend you can uh, you mentioned steve like some target guys will run lenses in their um, setups and this guy did ask that does it have something to do with his peep you will um get a different amount of field of view based off of your peep size um so you can somewhat manipulate clarity there but You don't want to, in my opinion, for a hunting situation, change peep size. For that reason, uh, we talked, I think maybe even the past Monday minutes about how you want to match your peep size to your site housing so that you kind of have that concentric circle lined up properly. So it can be manipulated somewhat, uh, but I wouldn't necessarily do that for a hunting situation with your peep size. Um, yeah. So for me, it is target focus pin blurry. Nice. All right, let's, uh, let's hit one more, Stephen. This is a mule deer question. Uh, we have mule deer episodes dropping soon, so hopefully we will be answering a ton of mule deer questions over the coming weeks. We have some great interviews that we've already recorded. Uh, we're going to have full episodes on scouting and glassing and shooting and stalking and uh, yeah, talk a lot about mule deer here in the coming few weeks. But this guy wrote in and said he has his first archery mule deer tag in Colorado, after three years of building points. And in the meantime, he's been hunting elk in Colorado. I didn't say where he's from, but he's uh, not a resident. He says, the Colorado season starts in September 2nd. I'm planning on getting there three days early to scout, and then I'll have around five days to hunt. From Google Earth, and e-scouting, he's marked 12 basins that he hopes holds deer, and he's basically made a 25 to 30-mile loop that he could hike and see all of those basins. Uh, He says his goal is to do a spot-and-stalk archery hunt, bring home any buck, especially with this being his first mule deer hunt. His question is, if you had three days to scout and then five days to hunt an area, would you speed scout every basin or multiple basins and pick the best area to head into for opening day, or would you spend all three days scouting the first area you find deer and try to kill one on opening morning, knowing that if it gets blown out, you don't know which basin is your best backup go-to." So again, he basically has three days four season starts. He's questioning, I have 12 basins picked out. Should I try and go scout out 12 basins and see which ones look best? Or should I basically scout until I find deer, stick with that deer, pattern that deer, and then try and make a play opening day? What are your thoughts there, Steve? Um,
1: My first thought is if he is on limited time, right, let's say he's in Missouri and he's going out there for the deer hunt uh, and he's got, he could take a week off. I would not go out there before the season opens. Uh, To show up three days early and essentially lose three days of hunting time doesn't make sense to me. Um, So I would just show up like the day prior, uh, hike into a basin um, so that when you wake up, you know, and maybe glass something up that night, if you're lucky and you, you nail your, your e-scouting, right. Um, and then, uh, you know, nails, you find a buck and then wake up that morning and, and hunt them and fi- find them again, bet them down and go stalk them. So, um, but if it's, you know, the, t- the calendar works out that way to where the days he can take off, he just is going to end up there three days early and you and might as well. Um, then yeah, I would definitely have a, strategy to cover as much country as possible. I'd have a a place you glass from first light. Um, I'd glass till 10 AM. I'd spend from 10 AM to, um, two or 3 PM, basically covering country, hiking to a new spot. If you can, ideally, um, I'd be like traveling along a ridgeline with some areas that maybe look like bedding uh, areas like underneath me. Um, to where I could, you know, be productive at noon, just be, just pull up the glass. And as I'm hiking, look behind every tree that's down there below me, um, and then find a new, and then basically work your way towards an evening glassing point. And I would just repeat that, um, for the first, you know, the, that first couple days and, and just find, and I would, um, yeah, I guess if I, if say the first night he finds a basin, uh, and it's just loaded with bucks, uh, he, it, it looks huntable. everything looks great. I, I do think it'd be smart to continue to cover country because the, the bucks aren't going to leave that basin most likely, or if they do, they're going to feed just to the next one over. You know, I'm not, it just depends on what the country looks like. But in general, those early, you know, uh, late August, early September, I think in Idaho, you got about till September 10th uh, as a general rule. They start to kind of rub off the velvet and then they're going to start acting a little bit different. They may drop 500 to 1,000 feet down the mountain. Um, just kind of start transitioning into kind of more timbered areas. Um, and that happens in Idaho around the 10th is from my experience. So, um, but yeah, in general, it should stay in that spot. So yeah, if he finds a basin that's, you know, there's six bucks in there and it's good huntable country. Um, yeah, I'd maybe glass it for like an evening and a morning and then that next day kind of move to the next basin and just keep covering country. And if he doesn't find anything that's better, I'd, I'd be back there the night before, uh, the opening, uh, opening morning and, uh, locate him and then wake up in the morning, hopefully relocate them and then go kill one. But so I, I still think it's a better plan just to, to be out there. Um, if, if you're going to be taking the time off, you're up there in the mountains with a bow in your hand, it, it might as well be hunting season. There's not a whole, whole huge advantage, um, to getting there early. Um, and the, and the one thing too, about getting there, if you get there too early, um, it's kind of a pro con, but, uh, there, there might be some local guy that scouted up that basin and that buck already. Uh, you, and you get there and you're like three days early, just watching the country. And then all of a sudden opening night before opener rolls in yeah. like three guys, like into that same basin, um, that kind of shoots you in the foot. So that's a good um, point. Yeah. So, but if you, if you get there the night before and there's guys in the basin, then you're automatically going to know like, okay, I'm going to keep moving until I find a basin that no one else is hunting.
0: Right. Yeah. But I
1: have no idea what the, the pressure's like and. Um in Idaho, it's you know, general, it's pretty rare that we bump into guys when we're back there. So mm.
0: yeah, to me, like twelve basins in a twenty-five to thirty mile loop sounds super aggressive, you know, in a few days. Like it's doable, but how much time are you spending glassing at that point? I mean, my first thought was kind of take a hybrid approach of, you know, picking like you said, smart travel routes where maybe you can cover four to five basins like pretty efficiently. Um, and you know, not have this crazy ambitious goal of you know covering 30 miles and 12 basins, but get into a, a good central point where you can get uh, convenient glassing points into multiple basins and kind of have at least a few options, you know, maybe a ABC option. But it is uh interesting your point there, Steve, on if you have limited time, you know, be there with a bow. The other thing to me that comes in mind on that is really just thinking, It's different if you're a a veteran guy who's had a lot of experience and let's say has a greater chance of success per stock versus someone new thinking, oh, I'll just, you know, we'll find this one and hopefully make it happen on open morning. To me, it's a a numbers game of a newer hunter. uh, And I put myself in this category wanting as many opportunities as possible to make stocks and then make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, and then recover from that. So, again, to your point, Steve, of having more time, that's giving you more opportunity to actually create more stocking opportunities. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I guess going back to his original question on how many basins to cover, it's basically one glassing point per morning, per evening, so two per day is the most you're going to cover. Uh, if you're moving faster than that, uh, and this is assuming open high country basins where you feel like you can see 80 90% of the country, um, you, you gotta sit in a basin for an entire morning an entire evening and and at best you know they're that early in the year they're pretty laid back they're pretty like out in the open feeding not you know they're not just hunkered up in the timber for the most part so you're gonna get a good idea if there's 10 bucks in a basin you're probably gonna see six to seven of them you know um so that that in a full morning or a full evening sit but i would not move any faster than that so if he's got three days he's basically six basins is max he could cover yeah. um unless he's in a spot where you can literally like hop over sitting on a knife ridge and, and look one way into a basin and then flip 180 degrees on his butt and glass into the next one then obviously you can kind of cover two at the same time but
0: mm-hmm. um yeah cool but yeah as we said guys a lot more coming on uh those topics specifically that we'll be going much more in depth on for sure so hopefully good relevant content to come for you guys If you have any other questions for us for future Monday Minute episodes, just send us an email to podcast at exomontagear.com. And thank you guys, as always, for tuning in.